Welcome to Seeking Scripture Deep Diving Bible Study. I'm Christy Jordan, and I want to help you develop a firsthand relationship with the whole Word of God. For links and graphics mentioned in my podcast, please visit the corresponding post on SeekingScripture.com. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. Good morning, siblings. Today's readings are Matthew 22 through 23. Rabbit Trails We begin in Matthew 22 with what may seem like a puzzling parable at the start. However, recall that there were originally no chapters and verse headings in the Bible. These were added by modern translators. With that in mind, we can see that chapter 22 is a continuous story. And when we begin reading at 21 verse 45, just two verses before this latest parable, we see the fuller context. Let's take a look. It reads, When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry. He sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burnt their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about him. And with that, we come to today's episode of Why Did He Say That? Kings often gave banquets for their subjects, regardless of status. This is a way for the king to be magnanimous and show off his wealth and power. However, it was understood that not everyone would be able to afford suitable clothing to attend such a banquet. And in those cases, it was common for the king to provide them with garments. Now, let's read a few other verses. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. I will be overjoyed because of my God, for he clothes me in garments of deliverance. He puts on me a robe symbolizing vindication. And in Revelation 19 verses 8 through 9, we read, Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Then the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Is it starting to make sense now? The Pharisees knew this was about Messiah. We will go on to read more of his charges against them. While they knew the law of Yahweh, their hearts were not for him. 
They lived outwardly as if they were righteous, but Messiah saw to their soul, and it was not so. They were the guests showing up at the wedding, but not properly clothed in the garments of deliverance. Now, what about those initial guests who ignored the invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb? I think this is a parable that could actually be applied to several groups, but all in the same way. Messiah sent out an invitation. It was ignored. They went about their own business, finding it more important to live their lives than accepting an invitation to follow Messiah. There was no rush, no urgency, not even a sense of honor and awe at what lay before them. I can see that being me just a few years ago when I was a, quote, good Christian who showed up at church but didn't actually realize or hold in awe and honor the treasure of Yahweh's word before me. This story can apply to that, to those Christians who call themselves by his name but do not take his invitation seriously, but it can also apply to other groups as well. This parable also reminds me of the prodigal son, but I'll save that story for when we get to it in Luke. I used to see that parable entirely differently than I do now, and how I see it now has changed my eternity. We see in Matthew 22, verses 15 through 22, that the Pharisees are now sending other folks to try and trick Messiah because he keeps outmaneuvering them at every turn. So they figure they'll plant some folks in the audience and they might be able to catch him with his guard down. Yeah, that's not going to work. They walk away defeated again. Side note, there are three main factions of Jews at this point. Think of these as you would any of our estimated 47,000 Protestant denominations worldwide. Nope, that's not a typo. We have over 47,000 Protestant denominations. Now, I want to give you a little bare-bones framework of the differences in these three factions of Jews below. This is strictly surface info. Feel free to dive deeper on your own. First up, we have the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees are a group of people who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Okay, this is key. They also did believe in free will. Then there are the Pharisees. The Pharisees actually had a chapter in their Mishnah, which is a book of their own laws, that stated that anyone who didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead would have no part in the ever after. Can you see why there's a clear rivalry between them and the Sadducees? We'll see more of this going forward, and I'll circle back to this, and it'll make a little more sense when we get there. They believed in free will, but that Yahweh knows in advance the choices we will make. They also accepted oral Torah, which is man-made law that was supposedly passed down orally in addition to the written Torah. In this case, the written Torah is referring to the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And lastly, we have the Essenes. Now, historians believe that this sect was formed out of a disgust for the other two. They believe that life is predestined. They lived communal, very humble lives, similar to what we would think of as monks in our time. And they stayed out of politics and lived outside of major cities. They are not mentioned in the Bible, but there is much evidence to show that they were the authors of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And from those documents, we have found that their name means observers of Torah. Torah being the first five books of the Bible. 
Now, the Sadducees try to entrap Messiah by posing a question to him, but this question is told from the angle of their doctrine. They are seeking to prove their own doctrine rather than seeking the truth. Messiah calls them out brilliantly by not answering, but stating plainly, You are wrong because you know neither scriptures nor the power of Yahweh. That's Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. Wow. Now that's impactful. And I am totally using that. Next time someone tells me that Yahweh has up and changed his mind on every statute and decree, which he said was everlasting. The greatest commandment? In Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40, we read, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. This passage is one of the most often cited to uphold the unbiblical doctrine that Messiah did away with all of Yahweh's commandments and replaced them with just two. I've written an entire paper about this passage alone, and it's very important that you read it as part of our notes today, if at all possible, as I feel it clarifies and explains key elements of Messiah's teaching and shows that he was, in fact, continuing to uphold the Father's word. Click here to read, Did Messiah Replace the Ten Commandments with Just Two? In Matthew 23, we see Messiah actually praising the Pharisees and that they know the law, but then condemning them for teaching it while not following it themselves. We also see that they held themselves up, exalted themselves, and essentially expected others to do the same. Now, Messiah warns us against following such men who would seek honor and grand titles for themselves, as the model of a leader is humility, servanthood, and one who directs others to follow Yahweh and His Word rather than themselves. In Matthew twenty three twenty eight, we read, So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What law is this referring to? Yahweh's law. I hope you're seeing the differences and how easy it is to confuse the two if we don't know the background of scriptures firsthand or when we read things out of context. Messiah grieving over Jerusalem is one of my many favorite passages in the Bible. I can imagine him, the pain in his heart at seeing so many willfully reject the gift he brings, knowing what their fate may be, and seeing his warnings, teachings, and wisdom fall on deaf ears. Matthew twenty three thirty seven. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Mm. Things to ponder today in the stillness of our hearts. Have we rejected him? Are there ways in which we are rejecting his ways 
and clinging to our own instead? I have to examine my life regularly to look for these things. He will lead, but we must follow. Test everything. Hold tight to what is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 We are saved by grace alone. Obedience is not the root of our salvation, but it is the fruit. May Yahweh bless the reading of His Word. I love y'all. Bye-bye.